Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. Horrible voice. Good morning to anybody listening in. My name is Andrea Simintov. You are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. For anyone listening in the first time, please do not turn off your computer. Do not say, oh my gosh, this woman, her voice, how could she be a podcast host? Generally, I have a voice like larks in the field. Beautiful. I have been fighting a... Uh, a nagging illness, a nagging cold. And I just want to reassure you that despite the horror of this voice, I really feel fine. I'm not in any pain, but I could not miss another week, especially as we stand at the advent of Hanukkah and not share this Thursday morning together. Like you, I cannot wait for Shabbos. I just cannot wait for the smells of a Sabbath house for the slowing down of my beautiful neighborhood and hopefully quiet in the world where we will get at least some respite from being cruel to one another. So let me first say we have such a lovely lineup of listeners today. Um, I hope that I never take you for granted, you guys in the U.S. and Canada. You are so great and there, and I know it's so late at night. And kol ha-kavod lechem, kol ha-kavod all due respect to you. Boketover, it's Israel. You're with us today. Anybody else having the chest thing going on? It's a whopper. I have to confess, I did take two COVID tests. Nothing garnished, nada. Europe is with us. Another very unspecific. Europe can be anywhere. I'm hoping, well, drop me a note. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Tell me where in Europe you're listening in from. Good morning, South Africa, my second home. Happy to see with you. You're with us today. Europe is listed again. <laughs> Obviously, two places in Europe. Um, Burundi, Burundi. I hope I pronounced it properly. That's like really on the southern tip of Africa. I think this is your first time listening in live. So again, hope you love my voice. I'm not going to break into song. And also, Honduras is with us this morning on the live show. Love the show, share the show, tell your friends all about Israel News Talk Radio, and um, help us continue with this holy work. You know, we are standing, this is the Shabbos, Sunday night, please God, we're going to light the first Hanukkah candle. Okay, I was just informed Burundi is not the southern tip. I'm going to do my research, Burundi. I'm getting a map of you right now because we don't like... I, hold on, let me just look very clearly. I wanna, oh, there you are. Oh, you're near Tanzania. Right. You're northwest of Tanzania, just a tad below Rwanda. What a lovely. All right. So tonight is, not tonight, Sunday night is the first night of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is, of course, a Jewish holiday. We all know the story about, you know, we've all heard it. Everybody who's a friend of Israel, a friend of Jews, Jewish themselves, despite, regardless of whatever your level of Jewish observance is, we all know the story about the victory of the Maccabees over the Syrian Greeks, the miracle of that little flask of oil 
that lasted eight days instead of one. Um, I'm actually going off text because we all think that the miracle was, of course, finding that flask of oil um, that should only burn for one night. But the fact is that there was a flask of oil at all left undestroyed. It reminds me of the importance of just a little bit. You give a little bit of leeway. You give a little taste of freedom. You give a little taste of hope. You give a little sliver of life, of, of light, and everything, everything is possible. You know, light, I came across these notes um, on, I believe it might have been a Lubavitch site, but who knows where I get all this stuff. But, you know, light is the one thing that when you take away from it, you borrow light from one candle and light your own candle. You're not diminishing the first light in any way. You're adding to the light. You know, if I take some food away from the table, if I take some sunshine, I shut a window because I'm diminishing the sunshine. Um, but what happens is light spreads, you know, and we use light to see. We use light to assist us. We light up our backyards so we can have a backyard barbecue, play basketball. Um, or even deter thieves. We turn on a flashlight to brighten up the tent. But imagine, imagine a world created by God that light was created for everyone else. When we talk about light and we talk about an inner light, an inner light, if not shared, really doesn't help anything. You might feel inspired for a day, but when you take your light and you shed it on others, you have absolutely recreated the walls. You know, there's a very unusual feature. In the first, in the days of old, I remember, you know, when you look at these pictures, these medieval homes, you see them with these very thin slits to the outside, the outside wall. Because, I mean, people were very, very vulnerable. So it let a little bit of light in. But the way it was built was almost like an inverted funnel. The, the inside wall was wider. So if you had, like, say, I'm going to speak in inches because 27 years in Israel, I still think in inches. If you had, like, a three and a half inch opening on the outside, then, um, you know, you were less vulnerable. But if you had, and then 12 inches on the inside, you could see and the light would come in. But what happened? In the holy temple, it was exactly the opposite. The narrow opening was on the inside and the wider opening was on the outside. So what does Chazal, our sages, teach us about this? It teaches us that because the temple was lighting up the world, not vice versa. The light, the spirituality, the holiness brightened up the dark world outside. So I was just thinking that maybe, you know, this Hanukkah, in addition to doing our personal menorah lightings, and of course, you know, we have to eat the donuts, and I'm really going to, I'm going to do a donut report, God willing, next Thursday when I'll have a voice. I'll bring you up to date on the donut situation here 
and the cinnamon tozalsman house, how many we ate, how many we avoided. But in addition to like lighting our personal menorahs, getting together with children or neighbors, maybe we could indeed emulate the lights of the temple, the lights that we're celebrating, and try not to just light up our own lives, but brighten those li- the lights in others' lives. You know, um, part of my raspy voice, part of the sickness that came upon me, I am certain, you know, I didn't do a show last week. I had a few very, very rough weeks, the kind of weeks that like if you would write it down in a Hollywood script, they would say, no, 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 it's not believable. Just, you know, each day was filled with another dramatic event, dramatic report, painful stories about people that I love and care about and strangers. And, you know, there were days that I I thought maybe I'm losing it. But, you know, I kept thinking about the upcoming lights of Hanukkah and I realized that there are so many things for all of us that ground us and, you know, more than our outside obligations, when we want to shout, stop the world, I want to get off. I thought about that saying that, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but despair, there's nobody listening to this show now that has not experienced despair in some way. But you know what? When we feel despair, we're only looking inwards. And when you're looking inwards, generally your head is down. But if you lift your head, you open your eyes, you can look toward a sliver of light. And that sliver is all you need to absolutely light up the entire world. And you know, maybe the trick is not first to open our eyes. But perhaps it's to first lift our heads. Um, All right. So one of the other things is that very important before we go to break, you know, we're not supposed to use our Hanukkah lights to read, to clean the house, to do anything. We're supposed to sit, gaze upon them. Let the magic enter us. I promise you. It's better than any meditation you ever learned. And it creates an aura, an aura within ourselves, an aura that we can indeed share with the world. And by lighting those candles and letting them be seen by the outside world, in the windows, on our gates, wherever we can, it lets others experience the mystique of those candles as well. Also, I know we have a not, lot of non-Jewish listeners. Important. A surprise when we come back on the other side. My voice is just more attractive than it was even during the first section. Um, you know, it's very funny. I love when you share the show and somebody says, oh, your podcast was sent to me. I don't know how I feel about it today. They're going to share this podcast. You know, I know that there was an actress called 
Tallulah Bankhead, my mother, you know, she should live and prosper, would tell me about Tallulah Bankhead. I think she smoked like 80 packs of cigarettes a day. Okay. Um, very important. Next week, God willing, I haven't spoken with the um, powers that be here yet, but hopefully we're going to do a in the midst of Hanukkah show, something very, very powerful. But what I wanted to share with you is that you know, this is the season that outside of Israel, even in Israel a little bit, but I certainly know that in America, I know that in South Africa, I get the pictures and I have no doubt in Europe, you know, you, you see these little signs of Hanukkah and Hanukkah is kind of looked at incorrectly by so many people as the poor, pathetic cousin of the much more attractive, much more exciting Christmas holiday. And I just want to state for the record, in case there's any questions, there is no connection, absolutely zero connection and a little less than that between Hanukkah and Christmas. And any attempt, even by listeners of this beloved station, and I'm talking about holy listeners, who try to meld it and try to make it a joint experience, it's absolutely, I can't speak for Christmas. I'm not a Christian. I really know very little about it. But don't, per, don't pervert the separateness, the holiness, and the extremely different message, not a different message, an unrelated, unconnected message about Hanukkah and the lighting up of the world. And um, yeah. All right. So we talked, I, said, I wanted to make that point last time. The other thing is that I just, it's an aside, I'm laughing because only when you sound like this, and again, anybody coming in, tuning in now, I am not in pain. I may sound painful, but I'm not in pain. Um, I'm phenomenally attractive, as you can well imagine. Anyway, but um, I do feel very close to the listeners. I feel like let's hang out in our pajamas and let's talk. Came across... Um, the Guardian is a very interesting online magazine. I don't really love everything they write. Their, their Israel stance is not always in keeping with mine. But nevertheless, they had um, a something that really resonated with me. It resonated with me because of A, who I am, but B, because of my Jewishness. And it was an article in the Guardian Youth magazine this, uh, this month that said, the, the title was, if you want to kill a big dream, tell it to small-minded people. And I think about how many of us are crushed by the lack of encouragement from others. But, well, you know, Virginia Woolf said, he who robs you of your dreams robs you of your life. And that's a very powerful statement. But I ask the question, are we completely reliant on other people? Meaning, if you have a dream and you want to pursue it, and others tell us that it's impossible, some of us, very few, will rise above the naysayers, those who tell them it can't be done. I mean, at the end of the program, of course, we're going to do our Javar Torah, our Torah portion. And I'm thinking that, you know, it was actually um, Yosef, Joseph told a dream to his brothers and what happened, uh, you know, it's much more complex than this. We don't want to dilute it, but you know, they really hated him for telling them their dreams. So 
this article kind of reports that the minute you tell your dream to small-minded people, small-minded people, mind you, um, they're going to discourage it. They're going to belittle it. They could steal the idea and become your competitor. And um, John Maxwell, I I had to look him up, actually. I thought it was John Maxwell was one of the early Puritans who came to America, clearly a guy with dreams. But there's another... um, guy named John Maxwell, who's a writer, can't remember the name of his book. And um, he said, you know, the bigger the dream, the bigger the person you must become to achieve it. What is he saying, boys and girls? He's saying that there are those of us who said, well, my mother said I could never do this. One of the reasons the Torah says we must honor our fathers and our mothers is because it doesn't always come naturally. Sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes the lessons we're learning at home are not necessarily healthy lessons for us. To sit and say, well, that's what I learned. That's who I am. Take it or leave it is not Torah. You know, a lot of dreams have been stifled. I think about anybody. You know, I know that Elon Musk is not one of the most popular guys these days. I actually find him fascinating. But, you know, he would have settled down in a research lab, you know, doing space research. Last week, we talked about Richard Branson. Um, he would have been a traveling agent. But, you know, he, he launched the Virgin Group. Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates had a dream. He was really stifled. I mean, Gates is a great example. He had this dream where every home would have a personal computer. Any of you listening in have more than one computer at home? I'm guilty of that. You know, if you ever want to achieve, oh, this is the best. Very fast to synopsize and very Torah-centric. If you want to achieve great dreams, meaning rise above your station in life, Stay away from, I love this, crab-minded people. You like this? A crab mentality known as crabs in a bucket mentality. You know, their answer is, if I can't have it, neither can you. Then there are those with what they call mediocre minds. People in this category, are they very content with being average? And they belittle and they mock your desire for wanting a little more. Then there are those that are very insecure, There are those who have low aim minds. Listen to this quote from Michelangelo. Can you imagine a world without a Michelangelo? What did he say? The greatest tragedy of life is not that we set high aim and miss it, but we set low aim and reach it. And then there are those that are envious. Together, I just think, Don't ever give up on your dreams. You want to live in Israel? I had a dream. And I remember one year I said to my ex-husband, I remember it was during Pesach and we were singing Hashanah Baba Yerushalayim next year in Jerusalem. And I put my foot down and I said, I said it. And now I'm saying it for the record. I mean it. Everything else was just commentary. And Albert Einstein just to finish up this little portion of my dream uh, part, Albert Einstein said, I am thankful for all of those who said, no, it cannot be done to me. It's because of them. I'm doing it myself. All right, I like that. 
So, um, all right, in the Israel woohoo moment, we always do our woohoo moment because Israel gets such bad press, right? We haven't had a woohoo moment in a while. So Herb Keenan of the Jerusalem Post wrote an article. It was a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, I've been out of commission. But I kept this for you. And he says, Israel is, it's been documented, the fifth safest country in the world for tourists. I just love that. I mean, I can't believe how many friends from overseas say, you know, we want to visit Israel, but we're very concerned. We think it's very unsafe. You know, I hate to tell you, my friends in America, and I love America. I am grateful for America. America made me and made me who I am. But I got to tell you, you're ranking number 20 on the list, earning an overall safety grade of C minus. We have the most horrific reports in Israel, car accidents, everything. Um, salmonella, polio. Um, what do they say? Salmonella, hummus. You want to say, as I said at the beginning, I want to get off the world. But Israel is the, what did I say? I wanted to see the third. It's the fifth. We're working on the third. Okay. Before we go to break, I want to tell you, we're going to go in, into Devar Torah, which absolutely will, I think, have a great impact on all of us, wherever we're coming from. This Shabbos, I finished reading a book by a very prolific uh, writer. He writes law crime books. I, you all know who I'm talking about. I don't have to tell him. But anyway, he wrote a book, and the whole book was about revenge. It was about a revenge list. And I was angry at myself because generally, I, I just I love this writer. He's an easy read. I feel that he's very underappreciated. And yet I found this book infuriating. I found it a cheap shot. And it was very disturbing. Somebody who would spend their entire life making a list upon who to give revenge. It really disturbed me greatly. And someone once said to me, and I love it, the best revenge is no revenge. Move on. Be happy. Find peace within yourself. Flourish. And even gasp. Forgive. That might be a nice thing for us to talk about at our Shabbos tables this week. Is it possible to forgive and move on? What price does revenge have on us? When we come back, we're going to talk more about Yosef, his brothers, and what it has to do with each of us and what makes a tzaddik a righteous person. Don't go anywhere. I'll see you on the other side. Simmonjove of the Sultry Voice <laughs> on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You know, I 
feel so terrible for my husband every morning. Ron wakes up and he, you could feel the trepidation. He's terrified. I mean, what kind of an ogre am I? And he goes, how are you feeling? No, he learned early in the marriage not to say to me, how are you feeling? Okay. Because I said to him, don't give me the answer. It's on the checklist. You know, don't tell me how I'm feeling. So the poor guy's really, imagine what it costs to be married to me. Really, I'm heartbroken for him. All right. This week's Parsha, and I'm going to speak very low because I think that my voice is less hideous when I lower the voice. So this week's Parsha is called Vayeshev. And I think... I just want to open this up. Maybe I keep, you know, doing, I want to tell you now, um, do our little from the Torah to our table, because I may forget at the end. Um, I'm not medicated here. So from the Torah to your table, just a couple of Vayeshev thoughts. And one of the thoughts is, you know, if only our eyes saw souls, saw souls, the nefesh, the neshama, of another person, if that's what your eyes saw instead of bodies, how different our ideals of beauty would be. That's one idea. And the other idea I want you to take, okay, and um, is that, you know, when Yosef told his father of the misinterpreted acts of his brothers, and I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but just, you know, jot down a note now. When he told his brother, his his father, he kind of, you know, tattletailed and told about these things that he had seen and perhaps misinterpreted. What was Yaakov, his father's response? His father's answer was, consider their virtues rather than their shortcomings, and you will avoid strife and contention with them. So I know that at my Shabbos table this week, I'm going to try to discuss the principle of seeing the positive midos the traits in our fellow man and not their faults. All right. Can you hold on while I just pour another hot tea? Everybody stay with me and we're going to have sound effects right now. Don't say that this is not a high-tech show. Here we go. That's a cup of tea being poured. Okay. Mm. The little pleasures, really the little pleasures when you need a cup of hot tea, just to think that you can have hot water, an amazing thing. Baruch Hashem. Blessed is God. Okay, so our father Yaakov, he wants to spend the rest of his days in peace and serenity, enjoying his grandchildren, you know, looking to learn. I hear so many people come to Israel and they retire after lives of hard work and what do they do at the age of 60 70 80 they enroll in yeshiva yaakov wants what all of us want um he wants to know that the major battles of his life are behind him but rashi points out based on the difficult tests of his life what were the tests lavan esav shechem um the Lord, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God, so to speak, he's really dissatisfied with Yaakov's plan. We have a saying, we say it in Yiddish, man tries and God laughs. The great drama of Yosef and his brothers is still lying before him. 
He thinks he's off duty. What do they say? Small children, small problems, big children, bigger problems. The situation can be seen as one of um, external enemies. And Yaakov has to find that inner strength to oppose these enemies, such as the way of the world, certainly the Jewish world. But Yosef and his brothers, they're demonstrating, they're the embodiment of a test of internal rivalry, rivalries, a situation at the end of Yaakov's life that threatens to destroy all that he achieved in his lifetime. Take a minute, feel the weight. Yaakov feels, you know, there but for the grace of God go every one of us. You know, maybe he's got a little feeling of entitlement to rest on his laurels, to look back and say, yeah, I did a good job. I laid out a framework. He's overcome some incredible obstacles, things that would cripple so many of us in our paths. So what happens? He's unprepared for what's happening within his own family. In the words of Rashi and the Midrash, now leaps upon him. His very longing for that shalom that has eluded him his entire life is his very undoing because he doesn't choose to see. He becomes almost blind to the festering enemies and jealousies that are brewing within his own house. He can't smell it. He can't touch it. He can't taste it. Perhaps, according to Rabbi Wine, um, that what Rashi and the Midrash have in mind when they quote God, so to speak, is that the righteous among us Chaval, shouldn't really expect serenity in this world. The Talmud even goes further on to say that even in the world to come, the righteous are not so tranquil, but they are rather bidden to go from strength to strength. I don't know about you. I need time to rest. We all need times of leisure. It's not a crime to say time off. Sometimes even just Shabbos isn't enough. It gives us our life. It gives us our oxygen. But we need to build up a reservoir a reservoir of strength, physical, manual, emotional, spiritual. Judaism doesn't know the concept or the value of retirement. This is absolutely I don't know, my father, may he rest in peace, always said that it was an American concept. Um, it's a modern practice. We always have to be bu busy. I know one thing, I really, I'm just jumping in here. You know, in my world, it's not a matter of the people I know, the people who are Torah observant. I would say for the most part, everybody has a volunteer job if not one, many. You never just say to somebody in my world, are you volunteering these days? You say, where are you volunteering these days? It's just Jewish to be productive, whether it's learning Torah, doing good deeds, self-education, listening to this radio program, <laughs> even until the day of our passing on. And we have to be vigilant, realistic. 
Some of us are not exempt. One of the stories I didn't do today because I just had too much material was a story about, maybe I'll do it another time or send me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. It was a very interesting story about, you know, the, the assistance that grandmothers provide in society, even though the world has changed and many of them are not, we're not looking forward to that particular task. You know, Sometimes things happen. I heard a story this week about a retired couple who have an adult daughter who unfortunately is mentally ill, cannot raise her child. And suddenly these young retirees, they've actually adopted the child and are raising her. And they're doing a great job of it, but there has to be a tad of remorse. So therefore, you know, we have to just be aware that the gains we made in our earlier years are not guarantees. There's, you know, we all want peace. We all want serenity. But only with realism and vigilance can we protect ourselves from our errors and self-made problems. You know, this week's Parsha really a critical juncture in the Torah. We've been consumed with the Avot, the forefathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. And now we begin the story of Yosef. And with it, it's a turning point in the history of the Jewish people. Excuse me one moment. Mm. Thank you. For Yosef's journey, from his father's house in Hebron. Um, you know, his sale by his brothers and his eventual rise to power and eminence in Egypt, it marked the descent of the Israelites into Egypt. If any of us question, how did the diaspora happen? Here you have the remes, the hint, the avak. It's the dust of the beginning of the Galut, the diaspora. It's not full-fledged yet. Okay? Yaakov has yet not descended into Egypt. But Yosef is soon going to be there. Well, the story, you know, the story of Yosef is certainly, it's very memorable. And we also know, you know, Broadway shows have been uh, done about it. From I never saw it, actually. Was it Joseph and the amazing technical green... Uh, Technicolor, Technicolor dream coat. That was the name of it. Okay, but the lessons that are imparted to us are all equally important because they relate to us in our daily lives. That's what we do on this show. Torah is not, you know, the Syrian Greeks. Hanukkah is a holiday that they attempted. They attempted to take away the specialness, the uniqueness, and they wanted to put the. the they didn't say. No, 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 we want to kill you Jews. Those were different kinds of pogroms. Those were different kinds of holocausts, different kinds of destructions. This was a much more insidious destruction. They said, your Torah is really good stuff. We want to spread it around. Let's put it up on the shelf with the Quran, with the Bhagavad Gita, with something called the New Testament. We'll just put it up there. It doesn't belong on the shelf. It's a blueprint for every, everything that exists on this planet. And it can't be diluted. 
Um, so, uh, pardon me. Every action, I, I, gotta, I, get, I get crazy when I think about the Syrian Greeks, the Bhagavad Gita especially. Um, there's a very puzzling aspect to the story of Yosef and his relationship with his brothers. I know that I struggle with this, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on it. You know, of the 12 sons, which eventually are referred to as tribes, only one was awarded the designation, the distinction the special title of tzaddik, a righteous one. In fact, Yosef alone was the only character in the entire Torah to have such a title. So when first introduced in this week's portion, it says, and I'm translating, Yosef, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers and brought evil reports of them unto their father. Well, don't we call this... Lashin hara, evil talk. So Rashi and other commentators explain that these reports were specifically about Leah's sons. Who am I talking about? Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Uri, Sachar, and Zvulan. Yosef, as I mentioned, oh, Yosef told Yaakov that they had sinned. And what were their sins? Um, if I have it right, their sins that Yaakov is reporting are they ate the flesh from a living animal, they engaged in promiscuous behavior with local Canaanite women, and they demeaned the sons of the uh, maidservants um, by calling them slaves, uh, I think, yeah. The Midrash tells us that in each instance, Yaakov was mistaken. He misinterpreted what he saw, and as a result... Hashem punished him, mida kaneged mida, measure for measure, and we will come pour across those punishments in the weeks to come, and we'll analyze them then. But you know, regardless of whether Yosef believed he was correct or not, you know, running to tell an evil report implies that the one who brings forth the report does so with intent of belittling, disparaging the victim. So now we have to ask the question, is this the action of a tzaddik, a righteous person? The sages hold that even if his brothers were guilty of these actions, what should Yosef have first done? He should have first rebuked them, scolded them, before relating their deeds to Yaakov. And again, the retelling of his two dreams. I think about this scene again and again. You know, I mean, I remember hearing this and I'm in Hebrew school and I'm thinking, I'm not allowed to say that. I think this sounds a little arrogant, a little conceited, a little chutzpatik. You know, he tells the dreams first to his brothers and then the second time to both his father and his brothers. Isn't this in direct contrast to the behavior of a modest person who is designated as righteous? You know, even the very essence of his dreams, which again affected the young Andrea, you know, authorities maintain that what are dreams? There are our desires, there are aspirations, there are fears. His were not particularly in keeping with the actions of a tzaddik. Nor is his method of retelling his dreams. Listen up, guys. Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamt. He wanted to emphasize their significance. Once again, hardly the act of a tzaddik. 
Is it no wonder that his brothers came to hate him? The Malbim explains this apparent contradiction by contending that Yosef's reports to his father was done out of the love he expressed for his brothers. He did so in order that Yaakov might admonish them and bring peace among themselves. It was his brothers who took the reporting in a negative light. They felt that his actions were not done out of love, but rather with the intent to demean them in the eyes of their father. Therefore, they have this deep resentment and hatred of Yosef. And you know, I really had to think about this. I don't know about you, but it's worth it. I know that I've had the experience of thinking that somebody really, really liked me. I remember a job I had in New York when it first dawned on me that I had a boss who disliked me greatly. And it came as such a shock because I really liked him and everything I was doing was for the good of the company and for the good of his success. And I remember this incredible shock. We hear terrible stories. You know, even when we're sitting and the ugly Lashon Hara, when we talk about someone, I've been learning with a teacher um, recently who uses the term, the perfect term, character assassination. We sit around and we perform character assassination on someone who thinks they're our friend, who thinks we like them, who thinks we care about them and wants good for them. There's no other way I can understand Yosef because with jaded eyes, we think, what is this guy like, clueless? But he's not clueless if he really is the embodiment of goodwill. He saw, I frequently talk about the fabric, the tapestry of the Jewish people. And he saw, he saw a tear in the fabric with his brother's questionable behavior. And if somebody is living a life of deceit or not a holy life, it doesn't mean that your portion of the fabric, your portion of the tapestry is just fine, thank you. It means that your portion of the tapestry is in jeopardy. And this was the mindset of Yosef. Our tapestries in trouble. Let's bring them home. Let's bring them holy so that we can all bask in the beautiful colors, the beautiful textures. You know, and with regard to these dreams, that Yosef, understanding now that his acts were acts of righteousness, he thought his brothers loved him because he loved them. That they would see and interpret his dreams favorably. Wow, thank you, Yosef. Wow, we can now repair together. Thank you. Our eyes are opened and we can walk off into the sunset and do good things for you know, B'nai Yisrael. But instead, they said, you know, what? You know, where you're coming from, you expect to rule over us? On the surface, it's very difficult to reconcile such actions, such thoughts, understanding that an entire chain of events regarding Yosef's life was carried out by divine providence. We say in Hebrew, hashkacha pratit. 
It helps to explain his seemingly haughty behavior because it was God who patterned these circumstances and events in order to fulfill a decree that had to be fulfilled. It was God's plan that Yosef be sent to Egypt, followed by Yaakov and the entire Mishpocha, the whole family, so that the decree of the Egyptian exile should be carried out. The Egyptian exile, which would define who we are for eternity. Even Yosef, later on, he was able to look back upon his suffering and he realized that the purpose of it all was to be able to save his father and his brothers through God's kindness. And Hashem sent me before you to preserve you and to save your lives, he says. Parshat Vayeshav and the story of Yosef, it teaches us several, several really important lessons. The first is, and I know that many of us listening in today are parents. Hi, parents. As parents, we probably shouldn't play favorites and give preference to one child over another. And sometimes we're doing it, you know, not so sensitive, not, not, not with an awareness. We're not aware of it. We can't see the perspective of the other child. Um, it can cause such harm, lead to terrible jealousy. A second, this is my favorite, the relationship between man and man is fragile at best and that the actions of one person even seemingly innocent and well-intentioned um can have you know adverse effect on others but perhaps the most important lesson to be learned is one in which we realize that although we have bechirat chufshit something that's discussed so often a free choice in our actions and lives. It's always God through divine providence who guides us and protects us. As we stand at the cusp of Hanukkah, we unite across the world, all that are listening in live, all that are listening to this on podcast, we have an incredible opportunity to sit look at the candles and reflect not just on our own hopes, our own aspirations and our own peace, but give a thought to one another, to the dear friends we haven't met yet. My name is Andrea Simintov. Shabbat Shalom and Hanukkah Sameach from Jerusalem. love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us. 
by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 